Today's scripture lesson is a speech by Paul. He gives this speech in the shadow of the Acropolis in Athens, Greece. The people there have invited him to speak. They are curious about his brand of religion or spirituality. So listen for Paul's method as well as his content. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all peoples to inhabit the whole earth. And God allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps fumble about for him and find him, though indeed he is not far off from each one of us. For in God we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, We ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Dave and I dreamed of going to Greece for decades. Finally, we decided that this would be the trip to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. But when that anniversary rolled around, our bank account did not concur on the timing. So we put the trip off for a bit and finally planned it for the spring of 2020. And that is when COVID canceled all travel. Finally, last fall, we touched down in Athens, Greece, just months shy of our 30th wedding anniversary. We were excited not just to see the blue of the Mediterranean Sea and to taste the amazing Greek cuisine, but we also we're excited to see a few of the places that the Apostle Paul had walked as he became the chief spokesperson for Christianity in the first century. On the first day, we visited the Acropolis in Athens. I was absolutely shocked by how high it sits way above the city, 
towering above absolutely everything. We climbed up it. My legs concurred that it was very steep on that climb. We paused at several outdoor amphitheaters on the way up, and we finally arrived at the very top to see that impressive Parthenon and the temple to the Athena Nike looking out over the city for miles and miles. It was just stunning breathtaking, far better than I had ever imagined it would be. And as it began to get a little late in the day and we could tell that we were about to be shooed out, someone mentioned that though they were closing that there was a rock a little lower down as we exited where we could pause and watch the sunset over the Acropolis. We decided we would check it out. And when we got there, it was covered with people who had evidently read the same tour books that we had. They were perched there to look at the sunset over that pagan Greek temple, the gods and goddesses enshrined there above the city. But right away, as we stepped on those rocks to climb up them, I realized this rock is incredibly slippery, and I didn't want to break my ankle on the first day of this long-awaited trip. But as we arrived at this set of rocks, I realized these slippery rocks were the very rocks upon which Paul had stood to give the speech that we just read from the book of Acts. We were standing on the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. Originally, this spot had nothing to do with religion. It was a civil courtroom where lawyers gathered to get to the truth of the matter, and later it became a popular place for the poets and the philosophers and the young people to gather to hear the latest new ideas that were emerging. Sitting on those rocks, looking up at the hill, and seeing the sun set on the Acropolis, this little set of rocks called the Areopagus seemed completely insignificant, dwarfed by the majesty of the pagan edifice that had stood for thousands of years to inspire the people who traveled there and who lived there. And then I remembered something that our tour guide had said about this area as we were climbing up. The, the tour guide just said in an offhanded way, oh yes, and Paul spoke over there, though he wasn't very successful here. And we paused a bit, thinking about Paul sitting in that spot, looking out on the grand and glorious Acropolis, and I thought, well, how could he have been successful in the wake of this grand place already dedicated to the many pagan gods? How could this little rock, this little place of exploring the truth, how could this have captured anyone's imagination when Socrates had already been there to help them discover the wisdom and the truth? Finally, we decided we would scoot down before the sun set, lest we slip and break an ankle on these rocks. In many ways, Paul's message in today's scripture lesson mirrors its location it's slippery, it's understated, it's unsuccessful. In many places, you and I know as members of the church, in many places where Paul preached, the church took off. We have the book of Romans because Paul was successful in Rome. 
a thriving church formed there. We have 1st and 2nd Corinthians because Paul's message took hold amongst the Corinthian people. We have Galatians and Ephesians, places where Paul started churches and had lots of success. But there is no book called the Athenians in the Bible. The book of Acts tells us that some people in Athens thought that Paul was just babbling. Some scoffed at Paul's words. Some said, send us a bit more information. Leave us the pamphlet. We'll read it later. We'll think it over. And just a few converts were made. Paul's message about the saving power of Jesus, it's understated here. It's subtle. He, in this great sermon, he doesn't even mention the name Jesus. He just says that God sent a man. And he doesn't talk about the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. He just says that God assured them by raising this one man from the dead. Where is Paul's fire? And Paul's message just seems slippery. Instead of being cut and dried and telling people, follow Jesus and abandon those pagan religions, Paul instead gets close to them. He comes alongside them. He acknowledges and affirms that these people in this community worship God in a variety of ways. Paul tells them, I've toured your city. I have visited your temples. I have seen your statues. I even visited the one to an unknown God. Rather than condemning them for being on the wrong track, he affirms that they are on a search, and theirs is a valid search for the holy. I picture him on that little rock, slippery hill, looking up at the shining Acropolis, his message dwarfed by culture and by a long history of obsession with other gods. Now, in our church, in just a few weeks, you can either go online or go to the church auction and you can bid on one of Patrick Mahomes' jerseys. The starting bid is $900. But I have had a preview of the auction list and there is not one clergy robe listed. Not one. At every staff planning meeting, when we are planning fall events, big events for Advent like the live nativity, midwinter events, we start dreaming about what God would have us do with the congregation. And then someone, Joe or Catherine or April or Tyler, somebody goes, wait, 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 hold on, hold on. And you know what they're doing. They're pulling out their calendar and they're checking to see when the Chiefs will play. Because so often it seems that the Chiefs are the Acropolis and the church is this small voice over here. Just a few weeks ago, the player draft was the biggest thing in town. Football is a huge force in our culture, but rather than condemn the Athenian people, and, and all that they prized, Paul affirms that in this cultural obsession, they are seeking something. 
maybe for us in Kansas City, our obsession with sports is a way to say that we hunger for something larger than ourselves, that we hunger for a unity, an energy that transcends our many differences. Maybe for the people of Athens, Paul saw that they hungered for spiritual wholeness. In fact, Paul says that God created all humans so that we would search for God, that we would fumble about for God, that we would grope for God, that we would find God. And Paul honors that all people have a common yearning. Paul affirms as true, even from his Christian viewpoint, that the poets, their poets, got it right when they said, in God we live and move and have our being. We too are God's offspring. Paul quotes their own literature to preach the good news. It's part of how God made us, Paul said. All of us came from the same dust, from the same earth. We are those who God created to be searchers. God made us to be curious. God made us to yearn. And yet, and yet, and yet, this one for whom we yearn is not far from us at all, but is already around us, surrounding us, enveloping us. I wonder if one reason that Paul is so subtle in this sermon to the people of Athens is because Paul knows that God can be subtle. I have long been a fan of John Muir, who helped develop the national parks in this country and helped this nation see that nature was not just nature, but that it was somehow spiritual, a gift of God. Now, John Muir, we know, was not a perfect person, but he did help us to see trees and mountains and rivers as a holy gift. And I had never known until just recently when a friend shared with me that John Muir was the son of a Disciples of Christ minister. A friend of mine sent me excerpts from a biography of John Muir, and it seems that his father was a hellfire and damnation, damnation preacher in the evangelical tradition on the American frontier, but John adopted a different form of spirituality. His writings point to God more of a holy mystery. This is what John wrote to a friend in a letter. We all flow from one fountain soul. All are expressions of one love. God does not appear and flow only from narrow chinks and around board wells here and there in favored races and places, but God flows in grand, undivided currents, shoreless and boundless over creeds and forms and all kinds of civilizations and peoples. John Muir saw that we all flow from one fountain, from one source of love. Like Paul, John Muir acknowledges and affirms that we have a spiritual hunger that we are God's people, that God's creativity and beauty and love flows from one source through the human race. I have friends who are not Christian. I have a dear friend who is Hindu. And I would say that other than being Hindu, she and I share the same values, the same spiritual hunger, the same longings. 
I have a good friend from college who is Jewish. He was the student body president at University of Texas when I was his public relations director. We shared the same hopes for our university, for our state, for our school, for our politics, for our families. We shared a common longing, but we practiced different religions. I have a dear friend from graduate school who's atheist. After studying religion at the graduate level, he became atheist. And yet, he is one of the best human beings I know. He goes out of his way to help people who are in need. He studies philosophy and literature in his spare time. He dialogues with people who hold different perspectives than he does on politics and social issues. He volunteers in the community. He's faithful to his family. I would say that the two of us share a common longing but we practice a different religion. Maybe it's okay. Maybe God is big enough to embrace us all with a love and a peace that claims us regardless of the religion we seek or do not seek. God is subtle, so subtle. I was on the train at the Kansas City Zoo with my eight-year-old grandson who lives with autism and is nonverbal. I mean, he can say a word, he could repeat a word, but he doesn't speak sentences. I got out my phone once we were perched on the train to try to take a picture of him on the train. I thought I might get a shot of him with some animals in the backdrop, but then I saw an incoming text from the office and I went, bent down to look at the text and little Jacob reached over and he picked up my phone and he put it back in my purse. And I realized that I had felt the subtle love of a child. Pay attention to me. Put down your work. Just sit me, with me here on the train and give me your undivided attention the focus of your love, subtle and clear. In God, we live and move and have our being. Have you felt that? I know some people feel God crashing in on them with lightning bolts and voices and thunder and clear messages. But for me, God usually speaks with more subtlety. Sometimes God is so subtle that it is even hard to find words for it, hard to name it, hard to describe it. Sometimes on a hike, you're just overcome by the beauty and the wonder of creation. Sometimes in the maternity ward, when you're holding a five-pound baby, you are overcome by how God's creation continues to unfold in human life. Sometimes when you stand at the graveside of a beloved elder, you simply marvel at the privilege you had of sharing life with this person. Paul thought that the poets described the reality of God exactly right when they said, in God we live and we move and we have our being just like the day last week, when I was walking through the hospital, 
I had passed by that board of major donors. You can picture it. It's in every hospital, big marble pieces with names engraved. I had passed by that exact spot in that exact hospital 50, maybe 100 times. But on this day, it was different. My husband had just had surgery in that hospital, and I realized as I passed that wall that without the names on that wall, this wing of the hospital would not exist. And one of the names that I saw was a couple, longtime members of this church. I had loved them. I had preached both of their funerals. And in that moment, I suddenly felt absolutely surrounded by God, like surround sound. God, who is so much of a mystery to me, was also encompassing me, enveloping me, surrounding me with a love and a compassion far beyond my wildest imaginings. Because you see, we search for God, but in the end, it is God who finds us.